glad that we're in the middle of the summer. It's been, a, it's been an excellent week. God has done a lot of wonderful things. Thank you, guys. Those are two of my favorite guys right there in the whole world. <laughs> Amen. You know, we, we are in the middle of our viral series. Uh, it's a series we started last summer as we studied the book of Acts. Viral, of course, the gospel went viral in the world in just a short amount of time. What started in a little, little upper room in Jerusalem ended up covering the entire Roman Empire and even further than that, all because the Holy Spirit knows how to make things go viral, and that's what we've been talking about. So today we're going to continue that. I appreciate so much being able to share with you uh, today. Pastor Jay is is here with us today. It's just, it's my turn today, and I, I appreciate so much being able to share with this incredible church. This is my church. I love you so much, and just be, having the privilege of sharing with you does something in my heart. A young lady was stuck in her car during a snowstorm. Uh, she, while she was there, didn't know what to do. She remembered her dad's advice. He said, if you ever get stuck in a snowstorm in the city, just wait till a snowplow drives by and then follow the snowplow. So she waited. Eventually, she saw a snowplow. She followed it in her car. About 30 minutes later, the snowplow driver stopped and he got out and he walked up to the woman's car and he said, Lady, why are you following me? And she explained, of course, what her father had told her. The driver said, well, I'm done now with the Walmart parking lot. You want to follow me over to JCPenney? <laughs> we don't understand about snowplows around here, so we, we probably would have done that, you know. <laughs> you know, the snowplow man was leading the way, but just because somebody's leading doesn't mean you have to follow. In America, we sort of place a lot of stock in this concept that people are born leaders or natural leaders. But I want to tell you something. More times than not, leaders are made, not born. The book of Acts tells a lot of stories about leaders. We have actually spoken already in this series about some of the greatest Christian leaders ever. People like John and James and Peter and Philip and Paul and Barnabas and Silas. So today we're going to look at another one of those powerful Christian leaders. We're going to look at a man named Timothy. So read with me from Acts chapter 16 verses 1 through 5. Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra where a disciple named Timothy lived whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. And look at this. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and grew daily in numbers. Timothy was one of the most important and most interesting characters in the New Testament story. Now, 
his story has to be pieced together from several different places because there's not like the story of Timothy in there. It's, it's pieced out. Like some of it comes from the book of Acts. Some of it comes from the six letters of Paul that Timothy actually helped him write. That would be First and Second Thessalonians and 2 Corinthians and Philemon, Colossians and Philippians. Those are important books. Timothy helped write them. Also, we get a lot from 1 and 2 Timothy, which were letters, not that Timothy wrote, but that Paul wrote specifically to him when he was a pastor of a church. And of course, there's a mention of him in the book of Hebrews as well. To get a full picture, we have to put these bits together. So what I want to do, since our viral series has us in Acts 16 today, and this is how Acts 16 begins, by introducing Timothy, what I want to do today is I want to put together a little profile, a short profile of Timothy's life, put the pieces together, and then I want us to just look and find out what we can learn from this man, this young man who became a mighty Christian leader named Timothy. So let's begin. Timothy. Did you know his name in Greek means honoring God? Pretty good name. Honoring God. He was a native of the Greek city of Lystra. Uh, Lystra was in the Roman province of Galatia, which is now in Turkey, but it used to be a Greek city. He was, get this now, he was the son of a mixed marriage. His father was a Greek and his mother was Jewish. When Timothy was a child, his mother named Eunice, his grandmother named Lois, taught him the scriptures, and brought him up in the Jewish faith. Look at what 2 Timothy tells us. I want to read a couple of scriptures here. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ through faith in Christ Jesus. You get the idea here? Timothy, along with his mother, his grandmother, came to faith in Christ probably when Paul's first missionary journey happened. Paul went through Lystra. Paul and Barnabas. Now, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, Acts chapter 14. Lystra was not just a great place to be. Lystra, things went crazy in Lystra. Paul and Barnabas got kicked out of town like big time kicked out of town. They were going to kill those guys. But a few people believed, and obviously Timothy and Lois and Eunice were three of the believers at that town. Paul often referred to Timothy as his son in the faith, probably meaning, most likely meaning, that he led him to Christ. Timothy was probably about maybe... 16 years old, 15 or 16 years old when he came to faith in Jesus. His parents, his mother and grandmother had uh, sort of given him a real strong spiritual legacy in Judaism at least, even before they knew about Jesus. The Bible says they, they read scripture to him. Family is usually the most important element in children coming to know the Lord. It's true. I'm, I, I know that from my own family. I am so grateful for a spiritual background that my family gave me. 
I, I want to tell you that. I, several of you need to celebrate this with me because you're the same. I first learned about Jesus from my parents and my grandparents. I went to church all of my life, even on those times as a teenager when I didn't want to go. It was not an option in the Sims family. And I don't regret being made to go, not one bit. Anybody want to amen that? <laughs> my parents taught me to pray. My parents taught me to love God. My parents taught me to tithe. You know what my dad used to do? I had an allowance. He gave me an allowance, and he said, I, I got a dollar. That was back when you could, that was, that was back when there was a dime store, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I got a dollar. My dad would give me 90 cents and said, you'll get the other 10 cents Sunday morning on the way to church. Because that's the Lord's. And then later he gave me the whole dollar and let me see if I could do it on my own. That's your dad teaching you to tithe. They taught me to be a part of a Christian community called the church. It was very much the center of our life. And my dad wasn't a pastor. Parents, listen carefully. Placing a spiritual heritage in the life of your children makes all the difference in the world. Don't let your children become the spiritual head of your home by telling you when and where you're going to go to church. Don't empower them to be their own spiritual mentors. They can't do that. They aren't meant to be gods. They're children. Show them the right way because they're not going to automatically get it. Sometimes we hear things like, well, I don't want to force religion on them. Really? Well, somebody's going to. Do you want it to be their friends? Do you want it to be their school? Do you want it to be popular culture? Do you want it to be Facebook? Do you want it to be Hollywood? Because it will be. Recently, I was privileged to speak at Kingwood Christian School at the graduation. It was such an honor, such an important day. And uh, I shared with them, the seniors that night, my best advice uh, for the life ahead of them. And one of the things I said was, Live for your great-grandchildren. Live now for your great-grandchildren. The Scripture teaches us that the sins of the fathers are passed on to the third and fourth generation. That's your great-grandchildren. And I'm just going to tell you, I don't want to live in a way that my life can derail the lives of my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren. It's just not worth it to me. Parents too often make decisions based on, well, I'm just ready to do something for me. It's time to, for me to make myself happy. That's not parenting. Christian parenting is living in a way that strengthens your children and your grandchildren and your children beyond. That's what a Christian uh, parenting is. The same scripture that warns us about the sins of the fathers can be passed on to the third and fourth generation says the blessings of the fathers can be passed on to thousands. How about that? That's what I want. 
I want to live in a way today, even if I have to look at myself and go, no, you don't always get what you want. I want to live in a way today that will make my children, my grandchildren, and my great-grandchildren stronger than I am in the Lord. Now, that was, I just chased a rabbit, a large one. But Lois and Eunice gave me the privilege to do that. We don't know anything about Timothy's father except that he was a Greek. He could have been dead, but chances are he was not a believer because it said his mother and grandmother were believers. It didn't say anything about his dad, just that he was a Greek. Timothy was raised in a mixed racial and cultural family, but he was also raised in a broken spiritual family. But that didn't become uh, Timothy's spiritual legacy. That didn't become his inheritance because the prayers and the teaching of his mother and his grandmother were greater than what was lacking in his father. How about that? Paul deals with this in mixed, in, about mixed spiritual families in 1 Corinthians 7. This is what he said. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through the wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband Otherwise, the children will be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Now, what Paul is trying to say is, if you're in a mixed home where some are, well, maybe one spouse is not a believer and the other is, you, the believer, have the right to sanctify and set that house apart. Your presence in that family makes the difference in your children. Wow, that's a big deal to me. So Timothy's mom was a single parent, spiritually. That should be an encouragement to some of you that are walking that path right now. I have good news for all of you parents and grandparents and brothers and sisters and sons and daughters who feel like you're the only believer in the house. Hang in there. Pray. Live for God. Your presence in that home will set apart the people you love for God to do something in their life. I believe that Paul thought about that when he penned that to the Corinthians. I believe he was going, yeah, because I know Timothy and his mother and his grandmother. I just want to encourage you. Through Timothy's grandmother and mother, not his father, Timothy saw a home with real faith in it, and he chose to follow it. I'm sure Eunice and Lois weren't perfect, but they were consistent, and they were sincere, the Bible says from childhood that he was taught the Bible. So there was sort of a, there was, that was a home with prayer in the air. You know what I'm talking about. What an environment for Timothy to grow up in. It's worth it. Family, it's worth it. Christian parents, it's worth it. Raise your child in the Lord. Let your child feel like church is your other house. So Timothy grew up quickly in the faith. When Paul came back to Lystra with Silas a couple of years later, Timothy was a disciple, the Bible says, already well-respected by the adults there. So he was like probably 18 years old when Paul and Silas came back through there. Paul must have seen something really special in this young man to take him under his wing, sort of like as a mentor. He sort of had a mentoring relationship with him. Paul invited Timothy to go with him, and he and Silas, on the remainder of their trip. Man, it says a lot about Timothy that he would say yes. I mean, he left his home, his family, his 
plans or whatever to join Paul's team. And he joined the team there. He said, yes, I'll do it. So, Paul, so Timothy traveled with Paul and Silas and eventually became a trusted partner in ministry. Eventually helped Paul write six New Testament books. He was personally sent as Paul's representative on more than one occasion. He spent time in prison for the faith, just like Paul did. And eventually Paul put him in as the young pastor of a huge, large church in Ephesus in a huge city of Ephesus as a young man. It's a big job for a young guy. Christian history tells us that Timothy wasn't only the pastor of the church at Ephesus, he was the bishop, that's the overseer, of the entire region. <laughs> Whoa! Late in the Apostle Paul's life, when Paul was about to have his head chopped off in Rome, who did he ask to come and visit him in prison? Timothy. We don't know if Timothy ever made it, but we do know this. The last letter Paul ever wrote in his life was to Timothy. So what can we learn from the life of this young guy? What can we learn from the life of this young leader that we see for the first time in Acts chapter 16? Well, let me remind you of something I said earlier. Leaders are made, not born. So the most important thing about Timothy was not that he was a leader. The most important thing about Timothy was that he was a follower, a follower of Jesus. First and foremost, Timothy was a follower of Jesus. Now, I've got, I've got two points. How about that? I've got two points that I want to get across to you today. There are two traits that Timothy displayed as a follower of Jesus. Two that I want to leave with you today as, as a challenge and a, a way to stretch and maybe grow your faith from this point. And here they are. Here's the first one. You ready? Timothy was convinced. Let me read the scripture for you. 2 Timothy 3. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know from whom those you learned it, how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise through salvation in Christ Jesus. Convinced. There's a difference in knowing something and being convinced of it. I'm serious. There's a difference. You know the, the story of William Tell? William Tell was this Swiss guy that was an archer and he was in trouble. The government was trying to get to mess him up and so they were going to throw him in jail or something like that and they said the only way you can get out is if you put an apple on your son's head and you take the bow and you hit it. And William Tell, according to the story, put the, put the arrow in. And it, 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 the apple is sitting on his son's head. And he hit it. Now let me tell you something. If I wasn't convinced I was a good archer, I wouldn't be doing that. <laughs> let me tell you what's even more. If I was his son, if I wasn't convinced, I would be running down through the woods. That he was convinced. Right now, if I, if I just said, hey, I need, uh, and I just picked three or four of you guys out of the audience, and I said, hey, come right over here, and I turn around, and I'm just going to throw myself off the, and say, catch me. 
You know what? I could say, hey, man, I know you're able to catch me. But it's another thing being convinced and actually doing it. Let me, t- let me tell you one time, I was at a Master's Commission conference in Phoenix, and it was just, you know, praise and worship going. It was really great. So some of the directors, one of the directors said to me, he said, hey, come on, let's go stage dive. And, uh, this, and so, you know, here's a director. He comes up. Christy, you probably remember being there. He comes up and jumps off, you know. That was back when people did that kind of stuff. And so I went up there and I went, hey, and I, I pointed to my guys. I pointed to my guys, and, uh, and, I, and I, Jason Heath was one of them. Jason Heath was one of them. Hey, man, yeah. They, they, were, down there, they were in one little section down there, and I was, I was going to go for it. And right before I went for it, my best friend that was a director named Ron Surratt just lit, flew off, and not a person caught him. He landed just flat on the floor. And I'll be honest with you, I backed up for a minute and said, are you going to catch me? There's one thing in knowing they can catch me. He had some boys out there too that could have caught him, but they didn't. And so I very gingerly sort of jumped off the stage. There are so many people who've had an encounter with Jesus and they believe in him, who say they've come to know Jesus as Savior, who confess faith in him, and then they just later relegate that to some past experience they had when they were a kid, something that happened to them in church. It's this, it's this American, Bible Belt, Deep South, Alabama Christianity that we see all the time. Oh, yeah, when I was a kid, I did. I went, I, man, I got baptized. I got fully dunked. I know it. I believe it. I just don't live it. <laughs> I know it. I believe it. I've done it. I'm just not ready to deny myself, take up my cross, and follow Jesus. See, early believers risked their life for the faith. They wouldn't die for something they weren't convinced was true. Timothy was not a fair-weather follower of Christ. He wasn't a part-time Christian. Timothy was a deeply committed believer, but not one for this season in my life. Don't you love that one? I'm going I'm to follow Jesus for this season in my life. That makes me want to throw up. You've seen it. You may have lived it. Christians come and go. Sometimes they're off and on. Sometimes they're in and out. Deeply committed until something new and shinier comes along to grab their attention. New converts believe, but disciples are convinced. Did you hear that? New converts may believe, but disciples are convinced. Timothy was more than a convert. He was a true disciple. He was a learner. He was a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ for life. Rock solid, full-time, convinced that Jesus really is the way, the truth, and the life. Timothy was willing to give up his life for that kind of faith. People that are not convinced won't do that, but he would. Convinced, Convinced about what? Well, convinced that God is who God said he was. Convinced that I am what God says I am. Convinced that the Bible is true. Don't you, I, I see people that they go, well, you know, I don't know if the whole Bible's true. I don't believe. I, you go, you're not convinced of nothing. If you can't look at the Word of God and go, look, 
I'm, I'm putting my, I'm going to believe it. I'm believing. I'm going to let it run my life. If you don't do that, you're not convinced. You're not convinced. That kind of convincing doesn't happen overnight either. You don't go to the convincing service and you leave convinced. It comes with walking with Christ day by day of learning who God is, of knowing who I am in Christ. Listen to this, of allowing him to take new places in my life that I discover need him. To giving him the key to every door and every closet in my life. That's being convinced. When you're convinced that he can run it all, you'll give it all to him. The process of convincing becomes stronger and stronger. And what's so neat is the Holy Spirit continually reaffirms that to you. He continually encourages you to be more and more convinced. That was true of Timothy. Look what Paul wrote to Timothy in his first letter. Look at this. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command, and it was something he had asked him to do, in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well. <gasps> what is he talking about? Timothy had received several words of prophecy from the Lord through other believers that confirmed to him and convinced that he was on the right track. God does that, folks. Paul wanted him to be reminded of what God has said to him. And God gave him words from the Lord, prophetic words. That's a New Testament thing. It's the strengthening of the faith. Let me tell you what, I've had that happen to me so many times. So many times. I, I, let, me let me just share this little part of my life with you. As a, um, uh, I was a youth pastor here for several years, and then I went to seminary in Missouri. While I was there, Peggy and I pastored a church for a year and a half. I was the lead pastor at a church for a year and a half. And it was great. We had a good time. Uh, but I didn't, I just, I didn't feel like that was what I was supposed to be doing. And so Pastor Ron called me and said, we really wish you'd come back and you'd take the position as assistant pastor. And so we thought, oh yeah, that's good. So that was a long time ago and we came back and we're still here. And uh, many times during that time, I, I've had people come up and go, Pastor Mark, when are you going to get your own church? And I go, I've got my own church. <laughs> This is my church. And then the, I've had family members. Well, are you ever going to step up and be a pastor? And I'm going, well, I am a pastor. And in that time, I, I, I felt like God had placed me in a place where discipleship was going to be my main thing. And those doors opened. We started Master's Commission 25 years ago. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not been easy. There's been ups, downs, whatever. But let me tell you, what, I, I felt like I, that, was, that was where I could that was where I would flourish. And um, I, love, I love discipleship. I, I love that. Well, over the years, I've had doubts. And God has confirmed to me through words of prophecy and words of knowledge, gifts of the Spirit that work in the church, to confirm to me, even outside of this building, that, that I was where I was supposed to be and doing what I was supposed to do. I, I want to tell you that. Uh, the third year of Master's Commission, I had a group of people up in uh, New York City. We were, we were going to do street ministry with David Wilkerson. And there was this lady on the street, this, this 
a Korean lady and her husband, they were singing in a, in a little boombox, singing Christian songs. You couldn't understand them. And I, I honestly went by and thought, golly, guys, you are not helping us. And, and then one of them, the guy stops and says, hey, buddy, come here. And, and I went over to him, and he said, tell your group to come here. I want to pray for them. And I thought, how did you know I had a group? Because we were divided up, walking around, doing a prayer walk. And we weren't dressed alike or anything. And so I took 10 minutes. I got them all together. And the guy started laying hands on them. This was on the corner of 42nd Street and 8th Avenue in Manhattan at lunch. He was laying hands on people and prophesying the truth that was in their life. I mean, they were over there weeping and crying. And I remember going, this is, this is, I can't wait to tell Dave Wilkerson about this, <laughs> you know. This is something like what happened in his church. It happened on the street. And then the guy, I said, thank you so much, man. Thank you so much. And he goes, wait a minute. And he put his hands on me. And this is what he said. You will never preach to millions, but those you train will. <laughs> And in my heart, I went, huh, I'm where I'm supposed to be. There, there were another couple of times when I had, uh, when I, I thought, well, maybe I need to do this. Maybe I need to do this, or I got an opportunity to do this. And, and I, I was, I was um, Peggy and I were at, we went to a, a conference at Bethel Church in California. And we're down there, and this guy just stops, stops and looks at me and says, you are a father to many, and you're supposed to be. I'm going, oh. That's two times. I'm talking, you would not believe how many times the confirmation has happened. And I feel like Paul is going, hey, remember when, hey, remember when that, Mark, remember? And I feel like he's talking not to Timothy, but to me. Remember what happened. Look at another scripture. I'll, I'll give you another scripture. Uh, 1 Timothy 4, I think it says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Again, the Holy Spirit challenged Timothy. To, you're where you need to, you're what you need to do. It's probably, he was probably thinking, am I a good pastor? Am I a good teacher? And, and, and Paul was going, yes, remember what the Holy Spirit said to you. See, the Holy Spirit confirms things using the gifts of the Spirit. And I want to tell everybody this. That doesn't happen outside of the body of Christ. That can only happen if you're part of a believing body of people. That doesn't happen on TV. That doesn't happen through 700 Club. That happens in a, in a church where the gifts of the Spirit are being used. Is that how the church works? Yes, it is. Hey, in case you're wondering, we don't just have services on Sunday morning at Kingwood. It's a lifestyle of faith here. It's a community of faith. We meet a lot in a lot of different places and a lot of different ways. And we allow people to minister to one another and for the gifts of the Spirit to be used. Timothy became convinced of it, and we must do the same. Convinced. Here's my second point. I'm almost done. Timothy was trustworthy. These were Paul's words to, to, that he wrote to Philippi to the, in the Philippians. This is what he said. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. Look at this. For I have no one else like him 
who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. Wow. Paul did not say that about anybody else in the scripture. I've got, there's no one like him. See, Paul was writing a letter to the Philippian church, which was under persecution, hoping to bring encouragement. And he said, I'm going to send Timothy to you. And I want to tell you something, this puzzling statement he made. He's the only guy I could send to you that will really give you my heart. He loves you the way I love you. He knows you the way I know you. <laughs> he cares about you the way I care about you. What a statement to make. Paul recognized that Timothy cared about that church as much as he did. So Paul trusted him to send him as his personal emissary. Timothy cared. Cared about Caring about people is dangerous. Really, it is. It leaves you open to hurt. It leaves you open to looking like a fool. <laughs> and a lot of people are so hurt, and that's why they don't care. They're afraid to care about people. It's because they're afraid they'll get hurt. But Timothy wasn't hindered by that. He cared. He cared enough to risk himself to go to that persecuted church. And the book of Hebrews tells us that Timothy was in prison, probably while he went on that journey that Paul sent him, he probably got thrown in jail in Philippi. In Hebrews 13, 23, it says, our brother Timothy has now been released from prison. <laughs> Timothy was trustworthy. Look at what else Paul writes to Timothy. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. And then this one. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will be qualified to teach others. Join with me in the suffering like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. It is amazing how many times Paul uses the word trust or entrust when he writes to Timothy. It mainly revolves around this concept of spiritual mentoring. Paul was a mentor to Timothy. Timothy was an apprentice to Paul. Paul instructed and advised Timothy, even allowed Timothy to enter his life and eventually entrusted his entire ministry to Timothy. A beginning artist once said to the master artist, I would love to peek over your shoulder, taking notes, watching intently like a little mouse, just to see it all from your point of view. That was Timothy to Paul. Timothy said, Paul, can I, can I learn everything I can from you? Would you be willing to open up and give me everything? And Paul was going, would you be willing to let me do that? And a mentoring relationship happened. And that is exactly why the message of Jesus Christ went viral through the entire Roman world. It wasn't because Paul preached a lot of sermons on TV. It wasn't because the 12 apostles preached to crowds of millions. It was because one man poured his life into another man, who poured his life into another man, who poured his life into another man. That's called multiplication. That's how things go viral. Actual Christian history says that after Paul's death, Timothy served about 20 more years as a pastor in Ephesus. Ephesus. 
before he was martyred. And that he was replaced by a man named Onesimus. <laughs> yes, the same Onesimus that the New Testament talks about in the book of Philemon. Paul had asked Philemon to free a runaway slave named Onesimus because he was no longer a slave but was now a brother in Christ. And it looks like Timothy took him under wing and discipled him and he became the replacement when Timothy was martyred. Incredible, incredible. That's how it's done in the kingdom. That's how it's done. That's how it's supposed to. Look, it's not a one-man show. Hey, like we say at Kingwood, life is better together. Life is better together. Now, some of you here need to be mentors. Like Paul. Especially those of you that have been seasoned in your walk with Christ. I guess that means older people. Don't you love to be called seasoned? I'm called seasoned often. The other day I went into Publix and the kid goes, hey, old man. <laughs> it didn't hurt my feelings. I got a senior discount. <laughs> Coffee's cheap at McDonald's when you, somebody say amen to that, yeah. It's not time, listen to this, it's not time to retire from serving God. It's time to invest yourself, to be available, to help people gain freedom, to give people affirmation, to give people encouragement, to pray for them, to love them, to let them peek over your shoulder and get things from your point of view. To show them how to take their next step. Without mentors, Christianity is reduced to a good idea, a theory. <laughs> but mentors bring the richness of experience and shared experience. Mentors believe in people. I want to tell you, nothing means more to me than to hear a, a master student from years ago go, Pastor Mark, thank you for believing in me. That's worth gold to me. That's what mentors do. And some of you need a mentor. Do you hunger to grow? Are you willing? You ready to take the next step of Christian maturity into your Christian walk, wherever it is? Now, we're not going to start some sort of formal mentoring program here. I'm not advertising the mentoring program, all right? We're not going to assign you with somebody, and, and that's not what's going to happen. I'm just saying we have loads of life groups, small groups that can connect you to people. If you get connected to people, those mentors will be the ones God brought to you, not that somebody assigned to you. Pray, look, watch, ask, search, find Christians you admire and respect and see if you can take a peek over their shoulder and see what's going on in their life. I had a mentor. You've not heard me talk about him either. I've, I've had many mentors, but when I was a teenager, there was a guy named Pete White. I, I didn't ask for him. I, 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 I didn't. I, I was at a Bible study one night, and this strange guy named Pete, who was about eight years older than me, showed up, and he sort of was there, and, and we were sort of struggling. We were making up things we thought the Bible said. It was Jesus movement days. We were trying to find our way through it, and he sort of 
guys, let me show you something in the Bible. And he sort of, he sort of took over the Bible study. And we liked him. And he took me under wing. Pete was the first guy I ever, ever, ever saw lay hands on the sick and someone was healed. A lady had a goiter. And he laid hands on her and prayed for her. And the goiter went away and I watched it happen. That was the first guy I ever saw do that. Pete was the first guy that showed me how to give an altar call at a church. Pete was, Pete was the first guy I ever saw that, that, uh, that laid hands on a person and an evil spirit left him. <laughs> Pete was the first guy that I, ever, uh, that I ever heard give an idea of how you need to practice praying. I didn't know you had to practice that. He showed me how to pray in different ways. And then, then he moved. He and his wife moved. And I, I, I would write letters and once in a while, and then they moved again, and I can't find him. I've been trying to find him. God brought him to me. He was a mentor to me. And then I've been a mentor. Abe Ortega, some of you know Abraham. Abraham Ortega, every Father's Day, calls me and says, Happy Father's Day to my spiritual father. Golly, I, does something. Some people have a need to be mentored and others need to mentor. But to grow in faith, you need others. You need others so you can check in with them. I need somebody that I know will not abandon me if I fail. Did you hear that? More than teachers, mentors are emancipators. <laughs> They're people who set people free. They free young Christians to keep going for Jesus. They free struggling people, free searching people. They, they free people from poor judgments and bad choices and clouded futures and questions and uncertainty. And they give them a rich vision of what life can be and what family can be and what a husband's like and what a wife is like and wholeness and health and joy and peace. These two powerful traits that I've talked about today, I want to leave with you. Traits that we see in Timothy. He was convinced. And he was trustworthy. And they meet in one place. Being mentored and mentoring. You're convinced and you pass it on. Today, I just want to ask you the question. Where are you right now? Are you a Paul? Are you, a, are you ready to be a Paul? Are you a Timothy? Do you need to be mentored? Do you need mentoring? Do you need a little of both? Yeah. Let me tell you what. The body of Christ and this church is a place where that happens. Uh, just, just a little piece. I know our young people just got back from Beach Free. And I was just hearing them talking the stories. In, in Kingwood Joe's today. Uh, what amazed me was when they baptized people the other night, it wasn't, wasn't Pastor Jay baptizing everybody. It wasn't the special speaker from California baptizing. But you know what it was? It was, their, it was their mentors, their life group leaders for years. <laughs> because that's who, that's who they peeked over their shoulder. That's how the church runs. That's how Christianity runs. And folks, you need to immerse yourself all the way in it. I'm going to ask you, if you will, to just bow your heads for a moment. Heavenly Father, 
I believe we have so much to learn from Timothy. And I want to pray right now that everybody in this room will try to ask the question, am I ready to be a mentor? Do I need to mentor someone or do I need mentoring or a little of both? And God, I want to ask you today to begin to work in that which makes people be convinced. Lord, do things inside of them that convince them. Let them reach out to you in ways that will convince them. Father, I pray that trustworthiness, knowing that I've got something in me I can give to somebody else and I can entrust to them and they can do that to someone else. Lord, start that, that process happening in people. Even young, even young like Timothy. God, we ask you to do something big in this church that will let the message go viral in Shelby County, Alabama. Now I'm going to ask you, today, if, you just, if you'll just keep your head bowed, if you say, man, I want to be convinced, or you say, I want to be trustworthy. I want that to be my legacy. If that's what you know, and you know God is stirring your heart about it, while no one's looking, will you just raise your hand, put your hand back down. You know God's stirring your heart about this. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, okay. Father, I pray, Lord, they'll take the next step. They'll take the next step. Now I want to ask everyone if you'll stand with me. And prayer team, if you'll come and stand along the front. I'm going to ask you today, if you raised your hand, I'm going to ask you to come and just seal what you just said to me. Seal it by just saying, would you pray with me about this? Would you pray with me about this? We got people here. They're, they're not here to assign you to somebody. They're here right now to pray with you about what you just raised your hand about. Would you come now, even as, even as they begin to say, would you just come? You got to find somebody to pray with you. Come on. Come on. Come on. Just walk down the aisle. Somebody's waiting on you right now. Lift up your hands, receive it. Step out now in the name of Jesus. Just step out right now. Here in the presence yep, it's time. of the
thank you so very much for coming today. Thank you so much. Isn't the book of Acts rich? It's rich. Thank you so much. I love you. God bless you.